This is the It Ain't It Sis podcast, a podcast where we focus on life's pivots and redirections, relationships, and becoming a boss babe. I'm your host, Sarah Whitney, and this is a space where honesty, humor, and a whole lot of sass collide. No one has it figured out. So it's completely fine if sometimes it ain't it, sis. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the It Ain't It Sis podcast. I'm Sarah Whitney, your host, and I am so excited for today's guest. Yes, I know I always say it. I know I'm a broken record, but I have Kirsty Taylor on the podcast today, and she is a relationship expert, a relationship writer. She's coming out with a book. It's called What I Wish I Knew About Love, and first off, you should buy it. I just pre-ordered it. I'm so excited to listen to it, but Also, she is just full of knowledge and I love her because she's so real, you know, because sometimes you talk to these relationship experts, quote unquote, and they use all this like mumbo jumbo. And I'm like, girlfriend, just give it to me straight. Like hit me with the truth. I can take it. And that's what Kirsty does. And I love that for her. I love that for me. And honestly, 10 out of 10 recommend this episode, especially for anyone kind of post breakup. I feel like this is the episode that you absolutely need to be listening to right now because we talk about anxious attachment styles and playing games and what the invest and assess rule is, which you're going to have to find out by listening to the episode. But before, you know, I divulge, you know, all the secrets and all the fun stuff we talk about in the episode, as you know, you should subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. It really helps me out. It supports small creators like me and it lets me know that you like the content I'm making. And also go ahead, give me a follow on Instagram. Say hi, slide into the DMs. I love it when you slide into the DMs unless you're a creepy man or you're trying to hack my bank account because that happens sometimes, but we don't like that. But if you're, you know, a normal person, you classify yourself as kind of somewhat normal, who's really normal, yeah, slide into the DMs, show some love and I'll love you back. So that's really all I had to say about that. But before we get into the episode fully, I wanted to start doing this new segment. Hopefully I remember to actually start doing it, but I figured it'd be fun. It like kind of relates to the name It Ain't It Sis. So I'm going to talk about weekly, like what my moment of like, this is not it, like this is like a no-go and then how to kind of turn it around and how I'm doing that and applying it to my own life. So It currently is Sunday night. This podcast episode will go up on Tuesday morning. And yesterday, I was at the gym. I finally have been able to go to the gym. You know, Miss Rona has not allowed that for, I think, probably the last nine months for me since I was living in California. Obviously, I'm back in Arizona and I can go to the gym now. But, you know, I was living in California and everything was shut down. So, you know, it was really hard to stay on top of my workout regime. If you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I classify myself as like a pretty big athlete. I do a lot of triathlons. Growing up, I did swimming for, I think, 13 years competitively. And overall, like, 
until coronavirus, I would probably like classify exercising and like going to the gym as part of my identity, which sounds weird for people who it isn't their identity. But if you're like an athlete or you kind of come from that background, you know what I'm talking about. So that being said, I went to the gym yesterday and usually, you know, my workouts are pretty intense. That's just kind of how I like it. That's where I get all of my like aggression out and all of that. So in the past, I would do, for example, like 40 minutes on the stair stepper and everyone who I talk to or everyone at the gym in college specifically would be like, oh my gosh, you're on that thing for so long. Like, how do you do it? I would die if I went on it for more than 30 minutes. And I'm like, oh no, it's totally fine. And yesterday, keep in mind, I haven't properly worked out, honestly, in the past nine months. I can't really run that much because I have like bad knees. And so I was just doing like these little body weight, like at home workouts. And obviously I would like sweat and everything, but like not the intensity that I was used to. And I tried to do one of my old workouts the other day on the stair supper and I literally had to stop at the 20 minute mark. And then I got off, tried to give myself like a pep talk because you know, there's people at the gym. You don't want everyone to think that you're dying or completely out of shape. So I, you know, decided I was like, you know what, I'm just going to bike for another 15 minutes and see how I feel. And I still felt so lightheaded. I was like shaking. And so I just hopped off and I started walking out of the gym. I called my mom immediately and I was like, hi. And she's like, hello, are you okay? And I'm like, no. (laughs) And I proceeded to tell my mom that I was either having cardiac arrest, a heart attack, or just a panic attack. I didn't really know which one (laughs) or I was just really out of breath, which I didn't really want to admit. So I went to those three options, which, you know, in, in Sarah's mind seemed very, very like a viable option, you know? So that's what I felt like. I felt like I was dying yesterday. And now looking back, were my workouts back in the day really obsessive? Probably because I don't know, I think I worked out way harder than you should. But that's also the intensity that I was used to for the longest time because I was doing like two and a half hour workouts for swim practice and then like getting up at 5 a.m. and then like also doing land workouts and all of that. So that was like the kind of mindset I had come from. Like I had come from a place of like severe intensity. So when I stopped swimming and like went to the gym, I like carried that intensity on into my workouts. And it wasn't until coronavirus that I was like, wow, maybe I work out like low-key a little bit too hard. So I would say that has been my like it ain't it moment of the week. And it was that moment for two reasons. Number one, I felt like I was dying and I had to leave the gym after 20 minutes. Number two, I realized that maybe my workouts were not sustainable after a while. And I also do want to preface everything that I'm saying. Like I understand everyone has their different ways that they work out. Some people really like low intensity and some people like really like high intensity. Some people only like to do yoga and some people only like to do running. And I'm a big advocate for, you know, whatever feels good for your body, do that. And in no way am I like saying I'm like this cool person because I can like run a lot or like lift heavy weights and whatever. Like that's like not what I'm saying, but that's just like what I'm trying to explain is like the mindset I grew up in as like a really competitive athlete and how it like translated into my life and me realizing that, you know, for like a normal person who isn't 
training for something specific every single day. Working out doesn't have to be like this thing where you feel like you are in fact dying. (laughs) So what I'm trying to do to like, I guess, change that is hopefully like find a happy medium. Like I do want to increase my endurance that I have just so when I work out, I don't feel so out of breath. And I think that's just going to come with time and I have to be easy on myself with that. And then also just learning that it's okay to not be where you once were athletically, if that's even a word. But I think as people who, I mean, I'm sure other like athletes can relate to me. Like if you come from that background and that identity, you can get really like annoyed at yourself, especially during like Corona when exercising is definitely more difficult than normal. So learning to not find your identity in just your performance on and off the field or in and out of the gym or whatever you choose to work out in. So that's like the lessons I'm learning. Just be easy on myself. And also If you guys would like me to do more of like a athletic slash body image episode, I'd love to do that. That's been something I've actually been thinking about a lot recently. So it's probably, hey, I'll probably actually end up doing it anyways. But that is what I've been processing for the last 24 hours. You know, nothing too dramatic, but it definitely affects me physically. So that being said, I think it's time to get into the episode and see everything that Kirsty says about getting into a healthy relationship. Okay, I don't know about you, but going to the grocery store lately has been a complete time sucker. From waiting in line to the amount of time it takes to get to and from the grocery store, it is really not working in my schedule. So that is why I've switched over to public goods. Public Goods is a one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, and affordable everyday essentials that are good for people and the planet. What a concept that is. And they offer an ever-growing selection of household products made from clean ingredients and mindful packaging. And guys, when I say they have a great lineup of goodies and household items that you definitely need, they have it. They have the candles, they have the popcorn, they have the cleaning supplies, they have the TP, which I know we all need right now and honestly it's so affordable and I highly recommend I just got my first package in the mail and that included some snacks some vitamins and some household cleaning supplies so fun but if you're looking for a more sustainable and affordable option when shopping go check out public goods and of course I have 15% off for you so use my code Sarah Whitney PGA that's S-A-R-A-H-W-H-I-T-N-E-Y PGA, and you can use that code for 15% off your order. Now let's get back into the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm so excited to be here with Kirsty Taylor, a relationship writer and self-love advocate. So welcome, Kirsty. Hi, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Hello. Well, I'm so excited to talk. I think we have just so much to talk about, honestly, because I am single and I have been single for the past year due to mostly due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what it does to you, I guess. And, you know, I'm also another big self-love advocate. So I'm excited to kind of get into all of those topics. But I kind of want to start off with like your personal dating history, because I, first of all, I just like want to know all the juicy details. And... (laughs) (laughs) 
And also, like, what made you or what inspired you to be a relationship writer? Because I feel like you're the modern day Carrie Bradshaw, I guess. Thank you. (laughs) It's like the best compliment ever. Actually, those two questions go hand in hand between like my love life, my experience and why I became a writer. So gosh, there's so much. But I guess the wrapped up version is that essentially I was a very much a serial monogamist from the time that I was 16 to the time that I was 26. So basically a decade, 27. I was in one relationship after another. And Well, not all my relationships were horrible per se. I did always have a lot of issues with relationships. I did always find myself very unhappy or in really like in college, I was in a very emotionally abusive relationship and that Mm -hmm. took a huge toll on me. And I don't think I ever took the time to really heal from that. And so I just got into one relationship after the other. But essentially the big turning point for me was that I dated two guys back to back. One was physically abusive. So that was like a whole thing in itself. Yeah, that's a big no. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big red flag no, no matter what. Just like tip Mm -hmm. number one, they will not change. Okay. (laughs) Second is that, oh, and then I got into another relationship with actually my best friend's roommate at the time. And that went horribly as well. And it was just two kind of quick back-to-back relationships. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, why do I keep getting into these relationships that make me so unhappy? And so right then and there, I was like, I'm going to take a break from dating for a year. And I'm just going to focus on myself. And I'm going to be really intentional with it. And so part of it all, and part of it was because at the time I had a friend who was a therapist, was that... I started to read a bunch of books about relationships and attachment theory and love languages and all these studies. And I just was so fascinated by all of it. Like everything that I struggled with a relationship was like scientifically proven and made sense. And so I, at the time, found this website called Medium where you can write articles and post stuff online. And so I was like, oh, I'll write about like some experiences and lessons I learned from my emotionally abusive relationship in college. And I posted it and people really resonated with it. And I found that people just understood and like had been through the same experiences and learn stuff from the stuff I wrote. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Maybe I'll write more content about the things I've read about and the things I've learned. And so that's the beginning and how I got into relationship and dating and self-love writing. That's so cool. So like, did you initially always thought you were going to be a writer or is it, it wasn't until like these series of events happened where you're like, wait, I think I should be a relationship writer. Yeah. So no to the writer. Actually, it coincided with kind of that year taking a year off from dating was that I also kind of, I mean, technically I got fired, but I also 100% knew I was going to get fired because I was not good at it and I did not like the job, (laughs) but I was doing a recruiting job at the time and I got fired and I was like, wow, I don't want to go back into recruiting or marketing, which is what I did before. I hate them both. They're horrible. They're soul sucking. And so I also took that year off from dating to, I got a nannying job part-time to like pay the bills. And that was when I was really figuring out what I wanted to do. And during that time is when I posted that article and started to realize how much I loved writing. That's kind of how it all happened. Wait, this is actually kind of so crazy too, because I also, I did recruiting. 
Uh-huh. And I absolutely hated it. And it was terrible. And I mean, he was about to fire me, but I think I quit before that could happen <laughs> because I was also not good at that job. But then also, you know, I've been through my fair share of terrible, terrible relationships. And right now I'm on my year hiatus of being just investing in myself completely, which Mm -hmm. honestly, I think is the best thing you can do in 2020. And yeah, I think that's super interesting how your path kind of led you to where you are today. And, you know, I read some of your articles on Medium. I've Mm -hmm. actually posted an article one time on Medium. Yeah, I don't think it was really read by many people, but maybe my mom read it. But hey, putting it out there. That's so cool. Yeah, I still put it out there. But I saw one of the articles that you wrote and it was titled A Dating Technique to Help You Feel Less Hopeless. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that really resonates with me. I need to click on it and read it. And so I saw that you mentioned it's called the invest and test method, which is basically the person you're dating, you date them based on how much they reciprocate rather than you know how much you like them and are invested in them personally. So I'd love it if you could talk more about this because I feel like it's not touched a lot, especially, you know, when you're initially just starting out dating. And when I say like dating too, I mean, post college dating, because I feel like mm-hmm. college dating is so different totally. than obviously the actual dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So honestly, if there was one thing that I would go back and tell my younger self to do, it's this invest in tests. I dated men and guys based off of how much I liked them or how much I felt those like butterflies. And that just made me not realize all of the red flags or the fact that they were really not putting that much effort into dating me. And so that effort looks like a very basic example is like, hey, I want to go on a date. You say this to a guy, hey, I want to go on a date. They're like, cool, same, let's go. You plan it, you figure it out, whatever you go, have a great time, you want to see each other again. Then you're like, hey, let me know when you want to plan that second date. And they're like, yeah, totally. Let's do it soon. You don't hear from them. You text them again. Hey, is this happening? You don't really hear from them. You're like, hey, like, they're like, yeah, maybe like Tuesday works. And they're like, okay, cool. What time? They're like, oh, you pick a time. You pick a place, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, if you stop to realize, this is a very basic example, but if you stop to realize if someone was really interested in dating you, they'd be like, when's that second date? let's go here like let's go at this time like I want to see you and I think we can all be we've all had those both experiences we've had hopefully experiences where people are interested and we've had those experiences where people just don't put in the effort but essentially it's just you put yourself out there a little bit you could even put yourself out there a bit vulnerably or emotionally and be like hey I really like you and I really like where this is going and they're just like yeah, totally. Or like change the subject. <laughs> it's like, wait, why did they not meet you in the middle? There's probably something going on there. They don't feel the same or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's really what the invest and test is. You just put in a little bit, you try something out and you see if they meet you halfway rather than you constantly pursuing them and chasing them. Okay. Yeah. No, that is kind of the story of my life, unfortunately. So, you know, hopefully after this year of, I guess, self-reflection, you know, I can maybe start to change that. But also after you were saying all that, do you think this could be also confused with playing quote unquote hard to get? Because a lot of times that's what we're told too is act disinterested. Don't 
text back too quickly, like all those kinds of stupid things that I mean, personally, I find them kind of stupid because I'm like, I like you. Like, why can't I just show it? But I mean, how does that kind of lie within this realm? I mean, I think that, well, first off, I agree. Playing games, dumb, not, do not recommend. But I think that, yes, it could be misconstrued. Like someone's disinterest could be that they're playing games and that's why they're not meeting it in the middle. But at the same time, it's like, that's your decision. They're like, okay, that could be the reason. Now, do I want to be with someone that's going to play games with me and like kind of toy me around from the get-go? Or do I want to just maybe take a step back and tip for them to make their decision and be like, you know what? I'm going to have to put in some effort here. I can't just keep playing games because I'm losing this girl and see if they meet again, again with the meeting you in the middle versus keep pursuing them because you think they might just be playing games. You put the ball in their court and for them to decide and do what they want to do. And if they don't pursue you, I'm going to say that there is someone else out there who will. So Mm -hmm. if they're playing games, it's their loss. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, honestly, I mean, I've always felt this way. I feel like I'm kind of like an older soul in that sense. But I feel like at 23, I'm way too old to be doing those kinds of things. And I realize like I am so young, but still I'm like, regardless of what age, you're still too young to be doing that. Yeah. I mean, I get it to like a certain extent. Not that I I think it's a good thing. I know that sometimes like playing games feels good and all of that, but at some point you gotta, you gotta not. And it can't be at your expense. It can't be when making you feel bad or like if you're with someone or you're dating someone new and they're taking so long to text you back and all you're doing is spending your time wondering if they like you or wondering like when they'll text you next. Like it's not worth it. It is so not worth it. You'll find someone that sends you a text like like a normal person. Mm -hmm. It's just not worth it if it's making you upset and unhappy. Yeah, it definitely isn't. And you kind of touched on it too about, I guess, the anxiousness that kind of comes along with dating. And mm-hmm. you talk a lot about the anxious attachment style. And, you know, that includes a lot of checking your phone all the time to make sure they text you back, feeling mm-hmm. like they are not validating you enough but or that they are validating you too much. Or you're always looking for something to potentially go wrong in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So in terms of just the anxious attachment style, would you say that it's more difficult to practice this invest and test method if you are an anxious attachment style? Because personally, I am. (laughs) I need help with that. Um, 100%. I actually think that the invest and testing like attachment style are the people that are most, mostly the people that have trouble doing the invest and test because we're more likely to get very caught up in our emotions and get really attached to someone that shows us even like the slightest of interest. And for us, the idea of losing the relationship or losing someone that's shown us interest and losing that connection is more terrifying than us looking like we're like constantly pursuing someone. Mm -hmm. So the anxious attachment style really comes a lot from like a lack of confidence. And if you were someone that knew like, oh, you knew what you wanted, you knew what you deserved. You, if someone wasn't showing you interest, you'd be like, all right, next one, like on to the next one, like whatever. So 100% anxious attachment styles do struggle with it. And I think that dating with an anxious attachment style at all, you just need to be very aware of what's your thoughts are and what's going on in dating and really checking in with yourself and becoming clear with what you want. Because if you just let your thoughts like run wild and you let your thoughts control you, these anxious, like crazy thoughts, dating's going to be really, really hard for you. 
And that's when I think like having solid or like a solid group of friends comes Mm -hmm. into play because I think, you know, your friends should be kind of involved sometimes in your dating life. You know, obviously not to every single um, aspect of it, but for the most part, I think, you know, your friends and your family, like they know you the best and they know how you react to certain situations. And I think including your friends on, you know, what's going on in your relationship, that's a great way to kind of have someone to keep you in check and kind of calm you down and be like, listen, you're being a little crazy right now. You should, (laughs) he's fine. He'll text you back. And I don't know. I feel like that's like a key factor too, if you are like an anxious attachment style. Yeah, totally. I mean, again, with the building confidence, having a solid friend group and still like making sure you don't like lose that to your relationship or having a solid family, if you're close with your family, like getting their input and stuff like that is so key and so great for helping your anxious attachment style. Yeah, exactly. And going off of that, I want to hit another point too, because you mentioned in another article, I think it was 20 things that you should know about love that you learn a little bit too late. And you mentioned to date what someone presents to you, not their potential. And I thought, you know, you hit the nail on the head because (laughs) growing up, all I ever heard, I mean, for me personally was, you know, see if he has potential or every girl says, but he has so much potential. And I mean, that's not true at all. And I mean, I'm a firm believer in actions speak louder than words, but I'd love Mm -hmm. to kind of know your thoughts on that because I think that's like also a big thing that, you know, we don't talk about often in dating. Yeah. The biggest thing is that people get into these relationships and think like, oh, if he just, or she, I don't want to talk from just the female perspective, but they, they, if they just changed this about them, like say that if they were just more ambitious, they would be so successful. Yes, true. But you putting the pressure on them to be like this more successful person or like waiting and hoping that they change is really un- is unrealistic because mm-hmm. For someone to change, like if you think about any huge change you've had, like say you've been working on your anxious attachment style and you realize how far you've come or you try to maybe something that's easier to think about would be, I was going to say smoking, but maybe that's not a good one. I was going to say quit smoking, but you, you have a, you have a goal in life and you're like, you know what? I want to change this. I want to be more confident or I want to work towards a promotion at my job. All of that's very internal. You have to have the motivation. You can't be like, I want to do this because this other person wants me to do it. You could sometimes like, oh, my parents want me to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. But you're going to be really unhappy. But Mm -hmm. for you to want someone to change isn't enough. That has to come internally for them. So to see that potential that you want in someone, they have to want that themselves. And a lot of people don't. They could maybe think it would be good for them to be more ambitious, but they have no interest in being more ambitious. And what you're doing is you're creating these huge expectations for the person you're dating from the Mm get-go. So you're saying, oh, I'm going to date them and they're going to turn into this very ambitious person. So when they don't, or they stay home one day instead of going out looking for jobs or whatever it is that just like triggers you, you're going to get mad at them. You're going to, this fight's going to happen. You're going to think, wow, if they only did this and that, and then you're resenting them. But really that's not their fault. It's Mm -hmm. yours for getting into the relationship, thinking that they could be something different than what they showed you from the get-go. Or even someone, the same thing goes for like 
someone that's like, oh, you know what? I don't, I don't want anything serious, but like, let's keep dating. And you're like, yeah, totally. But inside you're like, I want something serious. You're thinking, oh, I can change them. You know what? If he just dates mm-hmm. me long enough, I, he'll see that I'm amazing. But he told you from the get-go what he wants. So a year down the line, you two are still dating. And he's like, you're like, well, you're like my boyfriend now. And he's like, whoa, no, I told you I didn't want anything serious. You can't be like, but you treated me like your girlfriend. You did this, you did that. He told you from the get-go. So it's just like, when someone presents you in the first few dates or the first month of dating someone, two to two months, whatever, go based off of that. Because it's really all you have to go off of. And I think of it in the way that like, if the person never changed, if the person never did anything different, would you be happy with how they are now? Yeah. No, you hit on so many good points. And, you know, one of my friends, I think in my sophomore year was, I was going through a really hard time in terms of boys and relationships. And mm-hmm. this one guy who I was dating, I think from the get-go, he told me, you know, I'm not good for you. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, you're yeah. amazing. I love you. And, you know, after, you know, that relationship had ended and he was, in fact, not good for me, mm-hmm. my best friend, I kind of opened up to her about it. And she said that him saying that you should believe what people say about themselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, oftentimes I think we think, oh, he's just kidding. Like, ugh, yeah. what, what am I talking about? And it's so easy to d- dismiss those red flags. But I was ended up dating, you know, the idea of that person rather than the actual person. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's when we get into really, really tricky situations. And, you know, we end up breaking our own hearts in a way, which is so, you know, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's totally true. I was going to say the same thing. You end up walking yourself right into a lot of pain and heartbreak and it sucks, but it could have been avoided. So Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And I think one of the best things to do is just kind of own what you want out of a relationship and stick to it. And I heard a good piece of advice and I think it's have five priorities, like five non-negotiables in a relationship Mm -hmm. and stick to that. And if he doesn't hit one of them, it's not an issue with him necessarily. Like he's not a bad person for not hitting Mm -hmm. those five non-negotiables, but like he's still, he's just not perfect for you. Exactly. That's it. No one's bad. You're not bad he's not bad it's that you're just not a good match and like I think a lot of people are trying to even when breakups happen and stuff everyone tries to point their fingers at like who did something wrong but it's like in the end you two just weren't a good match and I like what you said about the non-negotiables I think something that's really important too to go off on that is make sure it's a non-negotiable and not just a pet peeve because a lot of people are like, oh, like my non-negotiable is that they have to have brown hair and they have to have a six pack. Or like my non-negotiable is, I just have, oh, so I read this somewhere. They're not a mouth breather. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My little sister would say. <laughs> no, really? Exactly. So it's just like, remember, like a really non-negotiable is someone that respects you. Like, boom. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's like a no-brainer. Other non-negotiables could be like, you know, we have the same religion because that really matters to you and that that like plays a huge role in your life. Yeah. But sometimes people like mistake like a pet peeve or a preference for a non-negotiable and then they end up only dating this certain type that makes them really unhappy. And I say that because I 100% did that. 
So (laughs) no, I mean, I did not too. So it's so easy too. but I think it's just like taking the time to sit with yourself and be like, okay, what do I actually want? What will I, you know, give my time to? Because Mm -hmm. back to the idea of like dating the idea of the person rather than dating the actual person at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, like you're just wasting your own time Mm -hmm. and other time and we don't have time to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And another point that I kind of wanted to point out is that in one of your articles also, you know, I read a lot of it. I love it. Yeah, no, I want to like go through basically everything that you've written and it's just so amazing. And, you know, you talked about the idea also of dating yourself or continually dating yourself even while you're in a relationship. So I first off like completely agree with that. But for those people who are currently in relationships and have a significant other, you know, how does that look like to continually date yourself? So the idea of the whole like um, continually dating yourself is that some people feel very lonely in their relationships or just feel very distanced from who they once were. And that's because a lot of people get into relationships and have it consume them. Some people, I don't think it's a very good mindset, but some people think like, I am one half, my partner is another half, and we are a whole, and that is it. And that's and, a no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. It's such a bad way to think. So the idea of like continually dating yourself is to do all the things you love to do when you were single or that you just love to do without your partner, like schedule time that during the week where you spend a night binge watching your favorite show or watching your favorite holiday movie or whatever, continue to do to take the time to do hobbies you did when you were single or before the relationship. Like for me, I love drawing. And for a long time in all my relationships, I never prioritized it. But now in the relationship that I'm in, I 100% do. And it feels amazing. And that and also we talked about it before, like seeing your friends going out and scheduling time is not scheduling sounds so formal but like planning time to go see them and go do things with them and just just still doing all the things that make you happy self-care your hobbies all of that you need to prioritize yourself as much as your relationship because you're not going to show up as your best self to your partner or your boyfriend or whoever if you're not your best self and you're not Mm going to be your best self if you're not taking care of your needs Yeah. And I think that kind of goes into every aspect of life too. Like Mm -hmm. if you're not kind of pouring into yourself every day, then how are you expected to show up, you know, as your full self, not only in your relationship or just at your job or for your family or for your friends or, you know, for anything. And, you know, I love that point too as well. And kind of switching gears, I want to know a little bit about your book because I know it's coming out in February. And I am also a big writer. And so I love to support fellow writers in any way that I can. So know a little bit about it. Yeah, totally. Well, the book is a culmination of everything that I've learned about love through all of the tears and heartbreak and pain and also research and studies and books I've read. It's a culmination of all that into one book. It's kind of an essay format. So there is sort of like a narrative that weaves through it, but it's not necessarily like one big long story, but it's a bunch of little stories. And then each essay is a little story and a little lesson that I learned from said story. And so it goes through, it's called What I Wish I Knew About Love. I should have said that from the beginning. The book is called What I Wish I Knew About Love. And 
there's five sections to it. It kind of moves through the whole experience of love and dating and all that. And it starts with moving. Well, it starts with questioning the ideas we're told about love, which I love. I I really love that section, although it's not as long as the other ones. And then moving past heartbreak, which is just like dealing with breakups. And then the self-love section, which is a great one. And then finding a great partner and creating a loving relationship. So it kind of moves you through all of that. No matter where you're at in your life, there's a section for you. I love that. Yeah, no, I definitely think. I know you're publishing it, if that's if I'm correct, with Thought Catalog. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, and I absolutely love them. Yeah, they're great. Oh, they're amazing. I'm a big fan of Rainbow Salt, if you know. Oh my God, that's my editor. That's Bianca's my editor. She's such a sweetheart. The first time I had a call with her, I was like, your voice is so soothing. I know. I would literally fangirl if she was my editor. (laughs) I'm so jealous. Yeah, she's great. I was surprised. I was like, wow, she runs such a big like Instagram account. I'm surprised she has time for this. Yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. But definitely everyone should go check it out in February. I know I'll be getting my own copy and it's so exciting. But thank you so much, Kirsty, for, you know, coming on the podcast. And before I let you go, I'd love it if you could just tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find, you know, all of your amazing work as well, too. Yeah, totally. So I guess the number one place where just everything is, is Instagram. My username is Words with Kirsty, and Kirsty is K-I-R-S-T-I-E. And then honestly, if you just type in Kirsty Taylor to Google, you'll find my medium, you'll find my thought catalog, and you can type in Kirsty Taylor Cosmopolitan, you'll find my Cosmo article. And then I've also been really active on TikTok. So I'm going to put that one out there. <laughs> I've <laughs> seen a few of them and I love them. Thank you. Thank you. It's really fun. And I've done a lot about dating with anxiety. So if that's something you struggle with, go to my TikTok and watch my videos. And that's Kirsty Taylor with two R's in Taylor. So K-I-R-S-T-I-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R-R. Amazing. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll be sure to put that all in the show notes below. But thank you, Kirsty, so much for coming on. And I know, you know, so many people can benefit from all of your work and, you know, everything that you had to say in terms yeah. of you know, dating. Yeah. Yeah, and any of your listeners can feel free to like DM me on Instagram and ask me questions. People ask me questions all the time and my DMs are always open. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, guys, I hope you absolutely love the episode like I did and just really took in the information that you learned from Kirsty because honestly, I think her information and knowledge is so applicable to everyday life and relationships in general. So make sure to order her book, pre-order it right now. Everything is in the show notes below. Follow her on TikTok, on Instagram, all of that. And of course, Follow me on Instagram, subscribe to the podcast, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys.